open to Colossians chapter 4 pretty automatically by now. We're looking again at Epaphras. And we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to talk about something that is talked about more and done less than probably anything in the Christian life, and that would be what? Prayer. Yeah, yeah. We Even when we gather to pray together, we tend to talk about what we're going to pray about more than we spend time actually praying. It used to be common uh, when I was uh, younger and uh, to talk about prayer warriors. Now, we don't talk about prayer warriors so much anymore, and, and maybe that's revealing, but if you're like me, you feel more like a prayer learner. How many of you feel more like a, a prayer learner? You're much more comfortable with saying, I'm a prayer learner, than saying, hey, I'm a prayer warrior, right? Probably most of us. I know I put myself there. But did you know that being a prayer warrior is a biblical concept? You know, that's just not something, you know, we don't want to lose that concept uh, just because uh, traditionally, in the past, people talked that way. Well, now we don't talk that way. Let's not, let's discard that concept. No, we can't do that. It's biblical. And it's also one of the ways, in fact, it's one of the most important ways that you and I will make our mark for eternity. We're following in the footsteps of a man by the name of Epaphras. Now, last week we learned quite a bit about the man, and we saw that he was one of only a handful of men that Paul reserved his highest praise for, even though he's only mentioned three times in the Bible and in only two of Paul's letters, Colossians and Philemon. And you know what? As I just sat and thought through that, that's a lesson right there in itself. Don't worry how much or how often people talk about you. Rather, be concerned about when they do talk about you, what do they say about your character? Got it? You know, don't worry how much you're mentioned. Epaphras is only mentioned three times. But mention what was said, because what was said about him was significant. And we learned this principle about how to make your mark, and we looked at it last week, and it was this. Be missional. Be unashamed to do for others what has been done for you in Christ. Be unashamed to do for others what has been done for you in Christ. But do you realize, as important as that was, that Epaphras was known for something much, much more. He was most known for this. You can write it down. His prayer life. The thing that stood out more than anything about Epaphras was his prayer life. So, Look at Colossians chapter 4. Let's read. We're going to zero in on just this, these two verses, 4, 12, and 13. So let's look at it again in your Bibles. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant, which is really more literally, more accurately translated, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. The most outstanding, the thing that stands out more than anything, is that Epaphras was a prayer warrior. Now, what we get in those two verses is someone who is very close to Epaphras, Paul, describing his prayer life. There is a lesson right in that. 
and it's right there in your notes. What would those closest to you say about your prayer life? Paul just described this guy's prayer life. Now, what would those closest to you describe your prayer life? And you can see the contrast. Would it be non-existent? Would they say, oh, his, his or her prayer life is non-existent, never heard him pray in my life? Or would they say it's consistent? Would they say it's lukewarm? Uh, uh, not only does he fall asleep in his prayers, I do too. Or would they say, wow, he's passionate, he's on fire, she's on fire. Would they say it's a grocery list of self? I need this. I need, you know how you go to the grocery store? Here's what I need. Some of us go to prayer to God that way. Here's what I need. Or would it be others-focused? It's not about what I need, God. It's about what others need, and I'm coming to you for that. Is it an organ recital? You know, heal grandma's toe, heal Freddie's arm, heal, you know, and just goes through all the physical organs, and it's all about healing? Or is it spiritually focused? Is it a stagnant rut? Uh, we could almost predict, you know, what we're going to pray. You know, it's easy to do that, easy to do that. Every once in a while trying to, because uh, I have to help myself with this, but have the responsibility to help my daughter with it. it she'll pray before a meal or something, and, uh, or I'll prep her before that. And I said, now, let's think about what we're going to pray about here and not just say same thing. And, uh, of course, then there was the time where Gwen was praying at night. We were praying before we go to bed. I just, it was the most hilarious thing. And then she ends, she's praying, and she ends, and thank you for this food. Amen. <laughs> Amber and I looked up. We're like, what? She was already in bed. She was already in bed. So is it a stagnant rut? Or do, do does he or she work hard at praying for others? Would they describe your prayer as a foxhole mentality that you really only pray when, when there's a crisis? Man, is it that bad we're having to pray? Or would they say that you're unashamed to advance God's kingdom on your knees? So... No matter where you are in that, and I do want you to take that seriously. Take that seriously. Think about through through that. Think about what you would say. Think what you think others would say. And then realize this. There's hope. We're going to follow in the footsteps of Epaphras. But to do that, we're going to have to follow him on our knees because that's how he did it. And so let's take a look at it. Be unashamed. And here's the principle. Be unashamed to advance the gospel on your knees. Be unashamed to advance God's kingdom, God's gospel, God's mission. I don't care how you say it. I say it several ways throughout. But the idea is be unashamed to advance the gospel on your knees. As we head into our world outreach, whose theme is to be unashamed, one of the things that we're, we're wanting God to do in your heart this week is to be unashamed to pray for world missions, to be unashamed to pray for reaching the lost. And, and Epaphras is going to show us how to do it. And so the question is this, how did Epaphras make his mark when he was raised in such a pagan culture? Well, last week we saw he did for others what was done for him in Christ. This week we're going to see he did for others what was done for him in Christ, but he did it on his knees as he advanced God's kingdom. So if you're going to make your mark for eternity, you're going to want these seven characteristics. When you look at these two verses, there's seven characteristics of a prayer warrior. They're the seven characteristics. So if you want to progress, and we all should, from being a prayer learner to actually being a prayer warrior, it's not sufficient to keep saying I'm a prayer learner. We need to progress to have the kind of praying 
that Epaphras had, then you're going to want these seven characteristics. And as you do, you will advance God's kingdom on your needs. So let's take a look at how to advance God's kingdom on our needs. Number one, pray humbly. Pray humbly. Now, this is the first part. This is the the end part. This is the middle part. This is everything. Because the way he describes Epaphras is the key to his prayer life. Epaphras, a slave of Christ Jesus. A slave of Christ Jesus. You see, Epaphras' prayers poured from a heart. And the heart means your mind, your will, emotion that was surrendered to doing God's will and not his own. You see, you got to get this mentality, and it's foreign to me. It's foreign to you. What does a slave, what is his mentality? Well, a slave's mentality is to see everything in relation to his master. You see, as a slave for Christ, Epaphras saw life from his master's perspective and was concerned with seeing his master's interests advance more than his own. Now, let me say that again, because it's early. As a slave of Christ, Epaphras saw life from his master's perspective and was concerned with with seeing his master's interests advance and not his own. In fact, his master's interests were his own interests. Because he everything depended. I mean, if, if my master doesn't succeed, I don't succeed. If my master prospers, that means I will prosper. If my master's interests advance, I will advance with him because he will take me with him. This is where prayer begins and ends. E.M. Bounds, who is my prayer mentor, though he lived during the Civil War era, era, says this, Prayer has no beginning, no ending, no being without humility. See, prayer is not getting God to do our will, but it's God preparing us and others to do his will. Prayer is less about changing God's will to conform to conform to our own, and it's more about conforming our will to God's will. Now, let me prove this to you through a couple passages. First of all, in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Jesus prayed this way when it came to doing His Father's will. What did He say in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. He had a slave mentality. I'm not here, Father. To do what I'm want, I want, I'm here to do what you want. And here's what I would prefer. I would prefer not to go to the cross. I'm not a dummy. I'm not a sadist. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to face what I'm about to face. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. According to Matthew 6, 9 through 10, Jesus taught his disciples to, te- uh, to pray this way in relation to the, to, to the will of their heavenly father. How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, in other words, you're over me, I'm your child, I'm your servant, I'm your slave, holy be your name, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That is seeing God's will through a humble heart. According to 1 John 14 through 15, we can expect God to answer our prayers when we pray the way Jesus prayed and the way he taught his disciples to pray. Listen to 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, 
he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Here's how the message paraphrases that. I think it's in your notes. How bold and free we then become in his presence, freely asking according to his will, sure that he's listening. And if we're confident that he's listening, we know that we've that what we've asked for is as good as ours. Now, here's, here's the application. If we are coming to God only when we need something from Him or just when our interest or the interest of our family is threatened, if we only come, nothing wrong with coming to Him for, there's nothing coming to, when we need something, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with praying for your family or when your interests are... But if that's only the only time that we really pray, then we're on the wrong wavelength and God is not hearing us. He has other priorities. Instead, we need to come to God as a servant and a slave of Christ who is seeking God's help to advance His kingdom interests here on earth. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to evaluate ourselves on all seven of these characteristics And I'm going to give you a prayer tip for each one so that wherever you evaluate yourself, you can make a positive step leaving here today. So here it is. My prayers come from a heart fully surrendered to the Lord and doing His will. Is that true of you rarely, sometimes, often, or frequently? My prayers come from a heart fully surrendered to the Lord and doing His will. Now, here's your prayer tip to advance in that. Use the Lord's Prayer as your prayer guide, and it will help you have a humble heart. It will help you have a slave-master mentality, because if you follow that guide, you will begin with, Our Father, who is in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And I always say, on earth and in my heart, as it is in heaven. If you will start that way, you will be well on your way to be a prayer warrior like Epaphras. And it will start, and what you will find, at least what I find, I rarely get to those other interests because I'm so enwrapped with how I need to advance in doing God's will and how great God is that a lot of the things I thought I needed to pray about are lost in the sight of His greatness. Try it out. See if it works. Number two, now that you have the vertical in place, okay, I'm the slave, you're the master, I want to advance your... Once you get the vertical in place, you're ready to move into the horizontal of other relationships. We do the opposite. We start with our relational praying, and then we rarely get around to the humble, you're the master, I'm the servant. So here it is, number two, pray relationally. Having established himself as a slave of Christ, here's what, he, here's what Paul says. Epaphras, who is one of you, greets you, also always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Now, this is beautiful. It's his prayers, but you is mentioned three times. See, it's his prayers, but who is he praying for? Others. 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 So let me ask you, right there, you and I, is our prayers preoccupied with self or with others? Are we relationally praying? Epaphras knew the people he was praying for because he was one of them. He was from Colossae, that's what it means. But he was also one with them. 
He was with one with them in Christ. He was one with them in the church. We should be praying relationally for one another in our church because we are one, right? Hello, everybody awake? Yeah, right, we're one, okay? Look, look at your neighbor and say, we're one. Look at your neighbor, we're one. Nudge them, wake them up, speak into their sleep. We are one. We should be praying for one another. Listen, he prayed for them because he loved them and he wanted what's God's best for them. Listen, when he says one of you, what he's saying is, Epaphras cries when you cry. He laughs when you laugh. His heart is broken when your heart is broken. When your spiritual life is threatened, his spiritual life is threatened. You've got to remember, the church at Colossae was being threatened by false teaching. They were drifting away from the gospel. They were drifting away from Christ. And though Epaphras was miles away in Rome and had his own problems, he's in prison, sharing prison with Paul. He's got his own issues. Where's his heart? It's with the people he loves, the people he lives with, the people he cares about. See, too easy. We come and go from church and we don't, we're not sharing life. We're not doing life together. You got to get in a grow group. You got to come to Discovery Hour on a consistent basis. I had some, it just, listen, listen, listen. You cannot be inconsistent in coming to worship in church and then be surprised that your mind wanders when you're here. Hello? You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm serious. You, 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 if you don't come here on a regular basis, and if you're not in the rhythm of it, then yeah, your mind, and, and by the way, your mind will wonder no matter what you do. Right? Is it wondering? Come back to me. Come back to me. Yeah, your mind always wonders. You gotta discipline yourself. Gird up the loins of your mind is what Paul said because you've got to get disciplined in that. Okay, let's keep going. Epaphras not only greets them personally, but he talks to God. I love this. Epaphras greets you. See, here's where, again, personality. Some of us, we come to church, we're great at greeting one another. We're great at talking to one another. So that's the next step. First, you've got to be here. Then when you come here, you've got to talk to people. But here's the deal. It's good to talk to people about their problems, but it's better to talk to God about people and their problems. Are you with me? That's You say, ooh, that's a good one. Nudge your neighbor and say, that was a good one. Write it down. No, I don't have to. It's in my notes. Okay, circle it, circle it, star it. That's good stuff. It's good to talk to people about their problems, but it's better to talk to God. After all, God's the only one who can ultimately do something about people and their problems. So let me give you three things that mark relational praying. Three things that marked relational praying. So you can figure out, is this where I'm at? Do I need to grow? First of all, praying, relational prayer is marked by praying on behalf of people you know, love, and serve on Christ's behalf. Relational praying is praying on behalf of people you know, love, and serve on Christ's behalf. God, listen, God sends us to people, and then we bring people to Christ so that he can save them, so that he can grow them. Are you with me? God sends us to people. But relational praying then brings those people, brings their problems, brings where they are to Christ so that he can do something about it. It doesn't mean you never pray for people you don't know, but we'll always be inclined to pray more for people we know relationally. Would you agree? Which is harder to pray for, someone you know or someone you don't know? 
Someone you know. Intercessors are mediators. They stand between people and Christ on their knees. And that's a good one. Intercessors are mediators. They stand between Christ and others on their knees. They bring the relational and personal needs of others before God in the name of Christ and for the cause of Christ. So that's the first mark of relational prayer. Secondly, praying uh, relational prayer is marked by praying God's will for people for their good and God's glory, for their good and God's glory. Praying God's will for people for their good and God's glory. What do I mean by praying God's will? We're going to see in a moment, that's what, that's what Epaphras prayed for. Ultimately, he was focused on what God has willed for these people. What you have willed is what I pray. It's not what people... Here, here's, here's, here's the temptation in relational praying. We tend to want pray for what the people we love want. Or, if we're a little more advanced, we pray what we want for the people we love. But that falls short. We should be praying what God wants for the people we love. Are you with me on the difference? Some of you, some of us, our prayer life is full of our family. And the problem is we are praying for what they want and what we want for them, and we're not praying what God wants. Because often what God wants is the very thing that we're asking Him to remove. Do you realize, whatever your political standings are, that God may give us the opposite of what you are praying, because that is for our good, and it will bring Him greater glory? Think through that one. Whatever you're praying, whoever one you're praying for, and I hope you're praying. But ultimately, it really shouldn't be who I want, who who I think we should have. We should be praying for God, give us your leader, even if that leader is not the one that I would want, that I would prefer, because his purposes are way beyond what we can comprehend. It's praying God's will, but it's praying for their good. Did you know that you can pray for people without heart and even for their hurt? In Philippians 1, people were preaching Christ to hurt Paul. Now, if people can preach Christ to hurt, you know, he was in prison. Let's go out and preach Christ, stir up trouble by preaching Christ so Paul might get executed. There were Christians doing that. Philippians 1, read it. Well, if you can preach Christ to the harm of others, I bet you, you and I, if we got honest, have prayed to God for the harm of others. Oh, we didn't say it that directly, but it was like, God, teach them a lesson. God, straighten them out. And if it hurts, all the better. Now, come on, you know, you know, right? Am I the only sadist in praying? I think not. I think not. We need to pray for people's good. And then we pray for God's glory. Uh, You know, we call the Lord's Prayer our Father who is art in heaven. Really, the Lord's Prayer is John 17, where the Lord prayed, where we get to listen to Jesus praying to his Father. And in John 17, the thing that he prayed more than anything was about the glory of God. He prayed about the glory of God. God, I want them to see your glory. God, I want them to reveal your glory. God, I've, I've accomplished your work. Now glorify me. 
That's what relational praying is about. And then there's a third characteristic of it. Third, relational prayer is marked by praying for others as much or more than you pray for yourself. As much or more than you pray for yourself. Three times he mentions you, you, you. Listen to this. Intercessory prayer is one of the greatest gifts you can give another person. You know how you know you're loved by someone? When they pray for you. You know you are loved when you pray for another person, when another person prays for you. Okay, here's the evaluation. My prayers are as focused on God's people as much as they are on my own family and myself. Rarely, sometimes, often, frequently. Where are you at? Praying relationally. Now, here's the tip. The better you know people, the better you can pray for them with passion and purpose. The better you know. So if you want to pray more for someone, but you you know, but you're not but get to know them better. So here's what you do join a grow group where you can pray relationally with others. The people I pray more in this church than anyone else is going to be the people in my group. Why? Because I know them better, I know their weekly struggles. Come to the world outreach and personally get to know these missionaries. You're going to pray for them better this year having met them. When their faces come up, when the report comes up, you're going to say, oh, I remember talking to them right over here at the fellowship time. So come to the World Outreach so you can know them, so you can pray them. And then Celebration Unplugged, the Sunday night where we lay hands on these missionaries and we're praying for them relationally because we got to know them this week. It's the most powerful time of the whole week. And so that's Sunday night. Plan to be here. Don't don't see that as... Oh, you know, the the big stuff's done. No, the more important stuff, as you're going to see, is takes place at Celebration Unplugged down here. Okay, we got the vertical. Where the vertical and the horizontal intersect, there's passion. It's a very interesting. He says Epaphras is a slave of Christ, and then he says he struggles with you, or and he says he's one of you. And when you take the vertical and the horizontal, then there's passion. And he says he struggles for you in prayer. Pray intensely. This is the third characteristic. Pray intensely. When you've got the vertical and the horizontal, where they intersect, there is passion. Always struggling. He has worked hard for you in prayer. Now, this word struggling, circle that in your Bible. Circle that. Struggling is the word that we get agonizing from. The Greek word, it's the word we get agonizing from. It refers to a fight, a struggle. It refers to a wrestling match. I wrestled in my ninth grade year at Antioch. And and so whenever it comes on TV, I always watch it and Gwen and and Amber freak out. That is disgusting. Oh, look at that. But it is amazing sport because you are just, it it is everything. I mean, you know, it is just a struggle, a fight, and, and that's the picture. Wrestling and prayer. Think of Jacob wrestling with God. He was praying. Now, this word struggle or fight is used repeatedly by Paul to tell Timothy to, to make your mark, to finish the race, to fulfill your ministry. Listen to 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight. There's the word. Agonize in the good agony of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He's saying, look, fight to finish your faith. 
And then he says, that's 1 Timothy. And then in 2 Timothy, his final words are this. I have fought the good fight. I have agonized in the good agony. I have wrestled and I have beaten my opponent. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He also uses this word in reference to godly living now and for the life to come. In 1 Timothy 4.10, he says, For to this end we toil and agonize, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Listen, we ought to be agonizing, fighting, intensely praying for the salvation of all people. Okay? Paul did this for the Colossians. Look in your Bibles, Colossians 2.1. Colossians 2.1. He uses the same word. It wasn't just Epaphras who was a prayer wrestler. See, prayer warriors are prayer wrestlers. Here's what he says in Colossians 2.1. For I want you to know how great a struggle, how great an agony, how great a fight I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Do you see what he's doing there? He's saying, look, I wish it was relational. I wish I had seen you. I haven't yet seen you face to face, but doesn't mean I can't be intense about my prayers for you. In fact, because I I, I haven't personally seen you and been where you're at, I'm going to agonize and pray for you all the more. Listen, that's what praying for missionaries is all about. We've never been where they've been. We're probably not going to face some of the things that they are facing. We haven't been in their shoes, but that's why we ought to fight to pray for them more. And we've got to overcome the fact that we don't know and we don't see them as often. And we don't, we tend to forget about them and we tend to get inward focused. We've got to agonize. We've got to struggle that their hearts, he says in verse two, that their hearts be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He says in verse 5, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. See, there's, there's a spiritual dynamic in prayer to where by praying for our missionaries, we can actually be with them in spirit. Okay? This week, if you're on our... Uh, you, need, you need to get us our, your email so that you can be on our prayer alerts, so you can be on our, our church email list, so you can know what's going on. But also, you would have gotten a, a prayer alert about our missionaries in Tanzania this week. And if you stopped whatever you're doing when you got that and you prayed for our missionaries there in Tanzania where the Muslim uprising and riots are happening three miles from where some of us have been and ministered, well, then you were with them in spirit, even though you may never be there in body. Pretty cool. Of course, the greatest example of this kind of praying intensely is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what it says in Luke twenty-two forty-four: In being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I'm way teaching above my pay scale. I am way talking beyond my experience and probably every single person in this room because I don't think anybody here has ever agonized, struggled, wrestled, and fought in prayer to the point where the blood vessels in your head broke and you sweat blood. I've got some growing to do. How about you? Okay, so what's this mean? What does praying intensely mean? Well, it means this. It means two things. 
first seen prayer as spiritual warfare. You've got to see prayer as spiritual warfare. Prayer is a fight. Would you agree? See, here's what happens. I'm going to pray. And then we find out how hard it is. And we're like, I'm out of here. It's a fight. You know, it's a fight. And it's a fight against three things at least. I just thought, this is just me thinking scripturally about this and just thinking. It's a fight against my flesh. We are self-centered and lazy. But Epaphras prayed continually. He says, always struggling. He was always fighting in prayer. He made it a priority. Remember when Jesus was praying sweat drops of blood in the garden? What were the disciples doing? Sleeping. That's what we were doing. We were sleeping. And Jesus said, couldn't you pray with me for one hour on all nights of all nights? So we got to fight against our flesh to not pray. We got to fight against the world. We tend to pray like the world and we tend to pray for the things of the world instead of praying like Christ and for the things of the kingdom. We we'll see in a moment that Epaphras didn't pray for personal comfort, physical cures or political control. And I'm telling you, that's what our prayer we're tempted to fill our prayers with. Physical comfort, physical cures, and political control. These are not what he prayed about. These are not what he prayed about. We'll see what he prayed in a moment. And then we have to fight against the devil in prayer. The single greatest weapon against spiritual forces is word-saturated prayer and prayer-saturated word. Ephesians 6. Listen, if you want to do battle in spiritual battle, you got a loved one that's struggling right now? Do you have a loved one that's struggling? Then you fight for them in prayer. Because that's what they need. That's what they need. You've got to view prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie and not a home intercom. Now, I, I learned this from John Piper, who over 20 years ago said this in a sermon. 20 years ago, here's what he said about prayer and spiritual warfare. We must talk first about war because life is war. And it is utterly impossible for people to know what prayer really is until they know that they are in a war and until they know that the stakes of that war we are infinitely higher. But most people do not believe this in their heart. They believe we are in peacetime, not wartime. Until people believe this, they will not pray as they ought. They will not even know what prayer is. Prayer is the communication by which the weapons of warfare are deployed according to the will of God. Prayer is for war. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission, Piper says. It's as though the field commander, Jesus, called in the troops and gave them a crucial mission. mission, Go and make disciples. Handed each of them a personal transmitter code to the frequency of the general's headquarters and said, Comrades! The general has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these walkie-talkies, these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter to give tactical advice and to send in air cover when you or your comrades need it. But what have millions of Christians done, Piper asked? They have stopped believing that we are in a war. And what they did, what did they do with the walkie-talkie? They tried to rig it up as an intercom in their cushy houses. Not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask the maid to bring another pillow to the den. 
Beautiful. Convicting, right? Hey, God, fix my cable, would you? The game's on, okay? I mean, you know, maybe we not prayed quite like that, but pretty close. Instead of saying, oh, God, move in the hearts of my neighbors. Let them see the reality of eternity and respond to my invitation to come to church. God, help our missionaries to stay true to their calling and not get discouraged. They're cut off from us. They're off in the front lines. They're taking enemy fire. God, lift them up. Lord, help me to clear my schedule this week and make it a priority to encourage my brothers and sisters who are going to come here this week. That's the kind of wartime mentality we need. Praying intensely not only means praying as spiritual warfare, but seeing prayer as hard work. Seeing prayer as hard work. Here's what Paul says. He works hard for you. Now, that doesn't mean what he does. It means how he prays. He works hard at prayer. Now, 20 years ago, Piper said that about prayer warfare. Here's what he just said this week in a sermon about prayer and the fight of faith and how it's all hard work. He says, the fight of faith is a fight of of joy in a sermon he preached last week. I wake up every morning and fight that fight. Am I wanting to look at Twitter before I look at Jesus? It sounds stupid. That's how stupid sin is. Every morning there's a war in the Piper household, and it's not against my family. It's against me. See, there's a fight in your house every day, and it's a fight to put Jesus and his mission before everything else, and that fight will be won or lost on your knees. So here's the evaluation. Let's look at it. My prayers are marked by Christ-like passion and persistence. I fight in my prayer. Rarely, sometimes, often, frequently. Okay, here's the tip. Because prayer is spiritual warfare and hard work, do not expect it to come easy or to grow in it without a fight. Okay? I know that's common sense, but I need to be reminded of that. So here's what I want you to do. Come to Celebrate Unplugged Sunday night. Because, listen, we love Saturday. We say, oh, that's the best part of the week. Well, that's because we're just sitting there eating food and getting blessed by the fight and the struggle of others. Well, come to Celebrate Unplugged and get in on the fight. Lay hands on these missionaries and remember the agony that Jesus Christ went through. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. The reason that is the most important thing that we do is because it reminds us before we leave that all that we've done is because he agonized, he fought, he sweated blood, he died on the cross, he bore our sins, and he's coming again. So come and enjoy that. Come and get in on the fight. Come and fight in prayer. Number four, if you're going to pray intensely, it's not all emotion, pray specifically. Pray specifically. So it's not just getting all ramped up emotionally. Here's what I love about his prayers. He says, this guy prays intensely, and here that, that little word that, is about specifics. He now tells us specifically what he prayed about. And we'll talk about that in the next point. But here's what I want you to understand. Epaphras not only knew how to pray, but he knew what he was praying for. And again, this is like prayer 101. But here's what I... I, I need prayer 101. I'm I'm not ready for 102 or 103. I need to be reminded that I need to know what I'm praying for. You know what? Okay. 
You get in grow groups, you get in one-on-one discipleship, and you learn real quick that one of people's number one fear is praying out loud. True? When I was first invited to this church, I was invited on because I was committed to the church I was attending that that didn't make the gospel clear, but I was, you know, that's where I was attending, so I wasn't going to come on Sunday. Well, come on Wednesdays. Okay, great. What do you do on Wednesdays? Well, we have a Bible lesson. Okay, that sounds okay. And then we break up in prayer, the men with the men and the women with the women. And I said, no, no, bye-bye, not coming. So I can relate to that. Okay, I can relate to that when I'm sitting across from my disciple and he's concerned about praying out loud. But here's the reality. You know why most people struggle with praying out loud? Because they don't know what they're going to pray for. So when I ask a brother to pray who's learning, I say, now, I'd like for you to pray, and here's the two things we're going to pray for. And basically, I tell him what to pray. And that takes away the fear of not... uh, I just gave you 60... That was worth the price of admission. 60 bucks of prayer counseling just came in that. Take time before you pray to think through what you're going to pray for. Uh, the prayer that has been prayed more for missionaries across the centuries is this, God bless the missionary. And I bet you the Mormon advance has, you know, more Mormons have been blessed, more Mormon missionaries by that prayer than anything else. Why do I say that? You said God bless the missionary. Are you getting, you getting my drift? So come... Know these missionaries. Uh, So here's the evaluation. So ask yourself this. My prayers are specific and focused. And then here's your tip. And we're we're gearing this towards mission. So here's the Use the missionary of the week. Every week, there are handouts back there for the missionary of the week. Take those and pray specifically. All right? The work has been done for you by uh, Kim, by Audra, by Randy. And then... Here's another thing on specific for this week. Take the missionary mail. Right in your, uh, in your uh, bulletin, you have the missionary mail. It explains the whole missionary mail thing. And that is about specifics. So you take that and you take your four by six this week and you pray something specific for them or you praise them or you encourage them with something specific to a specific missionary. It's, it's, it's all to help you learn how to pray. Okay, number five, specifics should be spiritual. Pray spiritually. Well, if I'm going to pray for specifics, what are the specifics? Pray spiritually. Here's what he specifically prayed. Here's what Paul heard him pray. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Okay, I'm going to give you four requests out of that. Four specific spiritual requests. Pray these for missionaries. Pray these for your spouse. Pray these for your loved ones. These are great. Just pray this. This will be worth today as well. Number one, pray for spiritual stability. Stability. He says, I pray that you may stand. Okay, if you're not standing, you're falling. Don't you want the ones you pray for to stand? Resist false teaching. Resist false living. Do not drift or depart from the message or the mission. And man, I've got all sorts of verses. We, we, just take that word stand and trace it through Scripture. Just trace it through Paul. He's praying that they persevere in their Christian walk, in their Christian warfare, 
that they don't drift from the gospel. Just praying for spiritual stability. You know, the best thing you can pray for your kids, the best thing you can pray for your marriage, the best thing you can pray for this church, God, I pray that they will stand strong in you. Stability. But stability is a result of maturity. That's number two. Stability is the result of maturity. He says, I pray that they may stand mature. What does that mean? That means become a fully devoted Christ follower. And what does fully fully devoted Christ followers do? They know. Say it with me. They know. They grow. They show. And they go with Christ. That's what he was praying for them. Lord, I pray that they'll be fully devoted. And if you want a sample prayer of that, jot this down, or I think I have it in your notes. Colossians 1, 9 through 14 is a sample prayer that Paul prayed for maturity. Pray that for your loved ones. Pray that for our missionaries. Maturity brings certainty. Number three, certainty. He prayed that they would not only be mature, but the text says fully assured. What's that mean? that they would stay satisfied with the sufficiency of Christ. You see, what happens is people are always looking for something more. Christ plus something more. Christ and a spouse. Christ and a better job. Christ and a better church. Christ and a better kid. Christ and another kid. Christ and another spouse. Do you see what I'm saying? We're we're always looking for something. And what you are looking for this morning is in Christ. Stay satisfied. He is sufficient. Have that certainty that in Christ I am complete. I am I am I am I am fulfilled in Him. And then number four, activity. This isn't all about just standing around and being spiritual. It's about doing what God has willed. He says that they would stand fully assured in all the will of God. And this isn't like, oh God, who do I marry? Oh God, where do I move? This is the will of God that's this right here. It's this. Stand. Mature in this. Be assured of this. Do what is revealed. Not, you know, what you don't know, you don't have to do. What you do know, that's what we're to do. Okay? So activity. Okay, here's the evaluation. My prayers are more concerned with spiritual growth than personal comfort, physical healing, or material gain. How often? And then here's the prayer tip. Pray scripture back to God. The best way to stay on target in your prayer life is pray what God has already revealed. And then you're praying according to his will. And then number six, if you pray his word and if you pray spiritually, you will be praying missionally. Pray missionally. Here's how he ends it. He has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. I love this. This, I mean, you know, do you feel about this high in your prayer life now? That's not the goal, but it's the reality, all right? Okay, here's Epaphras, and here's us. Wee! You know, right? Because he's not only doing this for his church, he's doing it for other cities. He's doing it for other churches. He's doing it for the world. And that's what this week is about. Here is what missional praying is unashamed to do. And I have it written out. Missional praying 
is unashamed to cross borders geographically, culturally, and socially in prayer. How much of our prayers cross geographic? Listen, they say China was closed. It never was closed. Because we can pray the gospel into any part of this earth. The 1040 window is not closed. Muslim nations are not closed. We can pray and cross those borders and those boundaries if we have a heart to. And then missional praying is unashamed to break through barriers to reach the unreached through prayer. Listen, our prayers can do what nothing else can. Jesus said, the labors are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors. And then praying missionally is unashamed to build bridges for getting the gospel to all peoples by prayer. Now, here, here's the thing. Probably one of the most moving, the most treasured, one of the most treasured moments in my life as a Christian, historically, it brought so many things in my life together, was be able to stand, to stand in the middle of England in the very shoe maker shop that William Carey lived breathed, and prayed in before he became the pioneer or the father of modern-day mission. Because I knew that in that room that I stood in in the middle of England and I looked out a window that I know that he looked out on and I looked out on a quaint English garden that he looked out on in a sleepy little village in the middle of a nation of a bald, short little guy who was a horrible preacher, so bad that they wouldn't even ordain him, and yet who advanced God's kingdom on his knees. And when he looked out that window, he didn't see that English garden. He saw a world without Christ. And he layered the walls of that shop shoekeeper's room with maps of the world out of shoe leather, he made a, a globe of the world. And as he taught his students, he was also a school teacher, he would often, while he was teaching, lay, glance at that globe and suddenly begin to weep and say, they are pagans, they are pagans. Meaning, not politically correct, meaning they're lost without Christ. Who is going to go? And out of that prayer, he then went. And out of his going, people are still impacted today. Listen, here's the evaluation. Do my prayers cross borders and break through barriers to reach the unreached with the good news of Christ? How often do we pray for the lost in other cultures? Here's the prayer tip. Expand your heart and your prayer life beyond your own comfort zone and your own kind of people. Pray for the missionary of the week. Pray locally for Trunk or Treat coming up October 31st. Pray for the WOC that begins this today, but also intensely this Wednesday. Get in on the action. And then number seven, this is the beauty of it all, but pray corporately. Pray corporately. In other words, pray, pray with other people. Because here's what he, here's, you know how we know all this? Not because Epaphras told us. Who told us? Paul. And you know how Paul knew? Because he heard him pray. You know why? Because they were chained together. Epaphras, could you hold it down? I'm trying to sleep. I can't, Paul. I'm advancing God's kingdom on my knees. Listen, pray corporately helps you do three things. 
Learn to pray and to teach others. Listen, here's how you learn to pray. Listen to others praying. Here's how you teach others to pray. Pray with them. Hear the heart of others and share your heart with others. There's no better way to know what's on someone's heart than to hear them pray. Link your life in ministry with others who are unashamed. I think this is beautiful. They were linked in chain, but they were linked in heart because these men prayed together. So here's your prayer tip. I don't think I added it, actually. I think I cut and pasted it. Learn to pray with others and let your prayer life overflow to others. Now listen, as I said, he, Paul gives us an example in Epaphras' life that, that, listen, few of us are at, okay? But we can advance. We can advance. Take these seven characteristics. Take these seven prayer tips. Move them into your life. And then let me just encourage you, advance God's kingdom on your knees this week as you come and get to know these missionaries. As you come and don't miss the opportunities at the end to pray with them and to take the Lord's Supper with them. Because something can happen this week, like what happened in that sleepy little village in England. Prayers can be said this week that can advance the gospel in ways that we cannot see this side of heaven. That's what I'm asking. Would you join me in asking that? Would you join me? Would you join me this week and come and be a part of this? Good stuff. Let's pray. Father, we talked about it. Now we pray about it. Make us prayer warriors. May we follow in Epaphras' footsteps. May we kneel alongside of him. May we be chained to his heart, to his passion, to his prayers. Lord, grow me so that I can grow my wife, so I can grow my daughter, so I can grow my ministry. Lord, may we grow in prayer as we pray together. And Lord, forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our prayerlessness. Forgive us of our laziness. And we thank you for starting fresh and anew today. Fresh and anew, forgiven by the blood of Christ, remembering his agony We commit today to fight the good fight on our knees. Lord, we want to do for others what's been done for us. We have been prayed for. We need to pray for the lost. We do this in Jesus' name, for His glory and for their good. Amen.